listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hi all, I'm Kylie Crabb. And I'm Robin Whitaker, And this is Christmas One, so we're still in the season of Christmas. And today Kylie and I will be discussing Isaiah 63, 7-9, and the Gospel reading, which is Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. So let's begin with Isaiah, Kylie. Yeah. let's. So there's some beautiful um, words and images, I think, in this reading, talking about the steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, we, we have these kinds of languages, language that we're, we're thinking about, the abundance of God's steadfast love. Uh, but it, it is also part of a a bigger context where there might be a bit of a battle going on. There's some more militaristic kind of language. So we've got this sense of God coming to people in the midst of um, a, a military setting mm. um, in in all of their affliction, it says, and he is afflicted. So yep. God is coming to, coming to the people where they are um, and, in fact, present to them in that time. Yeah, exactly. And... Um you know, a lot of scholars think here at this end of Isaiah where we're in the period where people have experienced destruction mm. uh, uh, and, you know, Babylon has destroyed the temple and, um, you know, in the midst of that utter kind of, you know, disruptive and violent experience, there is this recalling of God's kindness and of God's rescue this sort of it's almost psalm like very poetic language of just like but we'll keep telling the story of what god has done yes um and i think we're going to see that theme picked up in matthew that when matthew's going to link the jesus good news to moses and to joseph and to these other epic stories in the bible of um of rescue really and of god doing things for god's people Mm. But it, let's not skip ahead too quickly because yeah, there's yeah. some stuff to look at here. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me just at noticing you know how much um, the Christmas season is still really getting straight to the themes that we're going to see throughout, of course, the Christian calendar and especially in Easter. So that yeah. we have you know we've we've got this reading that is about the Savior coming to them, um, the the people in this setting, and you know in all their affliction he was afflicted. I, I think. Know. You know, like we've got this kind of suffering servant kind of idea in here that's already in our lectionary while we're thinking about the baby that we're talking yes. about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was really struck by that in verse 9, this sense that God, you know, God is experiencing what the people are experiencing. So when they're afflicted, God's afflicted. Um, you know, just before that we have this sort of possibly a quote, you know, why they are my people. So he's responding to perhaps a, a question about why you would um, – you know, care basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that he became a savior in their distress, and and again in verse nine, this language, it, you know, it's actually very intimate language of love and mercy and pity and compassion, depending which translation you're reading. Totally, totally, being carried, yes, carried them all the days of old. So there's, I, I got actually like a bit of a confession here. I got a little bit too distracted potentially in a like <laughs> part verse here. Yes. Um, because I was noticing. So when we're, when we're talking here, we're looking at different versions of the text and stuff. And I have opened the Greek and the Hebrew with different, um, translations of each and stuff to talk about it. And I really noticed, in fact, that mm. 
the English, this is quite unusual, that the English translation for a section of this, if you're using the NRSV, is coming from the... um, it's coming from the Septuagint, the Greek version, mm. which is which doesn't normally happen. So, um, uh, just to, for a little like nerding out here, um, <laughs> people will probably know that the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, uh, is um, written in Hebrew. But of mm. course, a lot of our sources of the Hebrew Bible are actually from manuscripts that are from much later on. So yep. there's a amazing task involved in kind of piecing together and wondering about what the kind of earlier textual variants and you know what these what these manuscripts would have looked like for the Hebrew text of course with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls we found a whole lot of stuff that was actually earlier than some of the medieval manuscripts that we've been using and we were confirmed in going oh a whole lot of this stuff is actually you know earlier Mm. in there but but what we also know is that there's this Greek translation during the Hellenistic period uh, and of course, a lot of our New Testament writers might well be referring to the Greek version. Yeah. They're writing in Greek, so they might know those. So that's worth bearing in mind as well. But our manuscripts of the Greek can be actually earlier than the ones we've got of the Hebrew. So you, as you can see, I'm getting too excited about it. But there, there's all this stuff that you can compare in there and notice when something's different. So what I noticed is that the Hebrew is saying, um, now let me get the let me get the right bit up. The, the Hebrew is saying, um, so in all their affliction, he was afflicted and then, and the angel of his presence saved them. So the yes. angel of the presence is, is what's saving the people in this kind of, you know, post-exilic context that we're talking about. And here. we should say angel could be some sort of divine creature, but could also be a word for, for messenger. Yes. Um, yes. Yep. Good. That's great. So then if we switch then to what the, so that's what the Hebrew is saying, but by the time we get to the Greek, which is, you know, Later, probably, probably after the yep. Hebrew text that we've got here probably, what it's going to say is that uh, it was no um, it was no old man, no elder mm-hmm. uh, who saved them or angel, messenger. So angelos, the word we get angel from, can mean yep. a messenger, human messenger. John the Baptist is called an angelos or it can mean a um, – it can mean an angel. So, so for some reason, and so it's going to say it's it's um, it was no uh, elder or angel, but the Lord's presence itself that yes. saves them. So we have a community that's struggling potentially, maybe, with wanting to articulate that it's actually God's presence with them that is saving. And they're yeah. they're. I'm I'm not saying that the Hebrew text didn't writer already didn't think that that's what they were saying by talking about the angel of the presence. I think maybe they were talking about yep. you know that this is a real presence that of that's God. That's effectively one and the same. Yes. For, yes. Yes. Yep. But here we have people saying, no, I want to be super clear here. It's not some angel. It's not some other elder. It is the very presence of God that has yeah. saved them in this context, which seems like super duper theme to be wondering about during the season of Christmas where we're talking about incarnation. Yeah. And, of course, when we get to the gospel, because we're back in Matthew's gospel this week, Matthew is the gospel that talks about God with us, Emmanuel. That is the grand announcement, right? That, yes. and, and we've got it here. And, and, it, and it goes on, um, reading from the Greek now, you know, that the Lord himself saved them because of love for them, yes, right? We've got yes. this agape language um, and then, you know, it goes on to talk about compassion and redeeming them. So, again, our... Our Old Testament is giving a context here and uh, a sense of continuity with the themes we're going to see in Matthew as Matthew picks up 
um, yes. you know, that this is the way God operates. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly, yes. And that there's, there's these themes about being ransomed or redeemed or, you know, yeah. and we're going to get, well, there's stuff about that as soon as we get into talking about Egypt. I'm wondering if that's where we should go now, Robin. Let's do it. So by go to Egypt, Kylie, you clearly yeah. meant Matthew 2.13. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm hoping for, yeah. unless you've gone back to Exodus, in <laughs> no. which case we could have a whole other chat. No. Um, but, of course, our scene shifts here, and we might go back and give it some context. But, yep. um, you know, we've got, we're have got we going to see in these sections of Matthew we're getting a text punctuated with angelic visits. Mm-hmm. So the angel of the Lord now appears to Joseph in a dream, lots yep. of dream stuff we'll talk about, yep. and tells them to go to Egypt. But what's happened just before this, Kylie, because we sort of have entered, I feel like the lectionary has given us halfway through a scene. We yes. need some backstory. Yes, that's right. It's a funny thing that it's the year of Matthew and yet for Christmas Day we've had uh, Luke, of course, because he gives stuff that happens like just on Christmas Day. Uh, and then we kind of save up Matthew because we're going to talk about Magi and stuff yeah. to fill out our nativity Christmas card. Uh, and we've missed, the, we've missed the beginning of Matthew. So... Um, for anybody who, you know, bravely used to think I'm going to read my way through the New Testament and didn't make it out of chapter one, I'd understand <laughs> because it starts with this very dense um, genealogy. Of course, there's really uh, there's some nuggets of gold in there that's worth digging out um, in a longer conversation. You could look through the um, yeah. the rest of the lection, uh, the rest of the genealogy there. Um, got a few surprises that are going to give some context for Jesus, yeah. and then we've got the birth of Jesus, and we've had this. So we've had this proclamation of God with us, the mm-hmm. Emmanuel, uh, that uh, to Joseph by the angel, and then we've got this visit uh, by the Magi. What do you want to tell us about Magi, Robin? Well, um, I mean, it's interesting. There have been some recent books out about the Magi because in some ways they're very minor characters, yeah. but we kind of all know who they are probably because of the Christmas story. Yes. Um, my preferred translation is magi. That's the Greek word, basically. A non-translation. Your preferred yes. translation is not it a is translation. not to translate the Greek word. But partly because sometimes they get translated kings and, of course, we have carols yeah. about kings and I don't think that's helpful. They're not kings. No. Um, no. Magi probably refers to something closest to astrologers, so people who read the stars and maybe even did some kind of magic-type things or what yep. we might call magic. Um I think the NRSV has wise men, which I also don't particularly like because that just makes me think of some sort of philosopher guy with a beard. It's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're probably Persian, at, at least they're foreign. So, I mean, Matthew is, you know, again, we're going to see continuity with the Old Testament, such a Jewish gospel um, in the way he frames Jesus and why Egypt's important. And yet the very first visitors of Jesus or the first to kind of mm. recognise who he is, that he's actually mm. important, are these foreigners and astrologers at that. So completely different religion, completely different ethnicity. And yet we'll see that they obey God and the dream revelation yeah. of God that says don't go back to Herod. Yes. Um, so... It sort of sets again the birth of Jesus in this bigger sort of yeah. intercultural, interreligious, global yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. and you can and it's there's a kind of nice balance there, isn't there? About like it's going to start off with this, and it's and Matthew's gospel is going to end with 
going out to all nations to yes. make disciples. So so you've got that con- and then in the middle of it, of course, you're going to get a thoroughly Jewish conversation. Yep. In fact, it's already there from the genealogy. You get it. You're getting um, a, a a community. You're getting a Messiah who's just embedded in in Jewish tradition. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the other thing we should say about the Magi is nowhere does it say there's three of them. There's three mm-hmm. gifts, but there could be two. There could be ten. Who knows? Uh, and um, but just before our passage, uh, you know, they followed the star. They're yes. astrologers. They read star yeah. signs, kind of thing. Yep. Um, they've. We know the story. They've asked Herod, "Where's this king?" So Herod's now on high alert that there's yes. a threat because there's yep. someone called the Jewish king who's yep. being born. Um, and uh, they've gone into the house and worshipped. And again, Matthew uses last week for Christmas, we talked about um, the word Luke uses is this guest room where mm-hmm. there's no room in the guest room for Mary and Joseph and the birth. Um, but now they're in a house. So we're mm-hmm. probably some months, I think, mm-hmm. later. This mm-hmm. We conflate it all as like happening on the same night, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we've got some spacing out of the story here. Um, but, of course, they're warned in a dream not to return to Herod and so they leave and they go home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, there's a sense that there's a, there's a quite unexpected allegiance to the divine revelation rather than to the earthly king, yeah. which will be a pattern in what follows. Yeah, yeah, and and that there's this. I mean, it's like um, it's it's careful story, storytelling, right? Like there is a, people will say, of, like Ulrich Lutz says of this section that there's not a word that's um, there's not an unnecessary word. It's, yeah, it's sparse. It's, clever. it's telling the whole thing, and we've got the setup. We've got all these. You know, we've got the um, the witness to the kind of like cosmic importance of this new baby, mm. at the and we've also got the introduction of the villain, and and we're yes. all, we're already going to find out about that, uh, and in fact we're gonna we're gonna find out early on even things like that the villain's going to die, but then we keep going with the story, so it's kind of alluded to at the, at the beginning we yep. know what's going to happen, so they've been warned, and then Robin, when we get to this bit, we've got a new warning in a dream. Yes, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt um, and and remain there because Herod's – so the warning is that Herod's going to search for the child and, of course, what follows is this edict to kill all the baby boys under two. So that, again, gives you a sense of the time frame. Yes. Herod doesn't know quite how old Jesus is. He could be a toddling about. Um, so there's this broad sweep of death that comes out because of the political threat. But it might be worth saying at this point we've got a whole lot of Old Testament, two probably, yes. three, three yeah. Old Testament stories looming large here. Oh, sorry. Um, three citations, I was oh, going to say, oh. if, if this in this opening section. Yeah, Kylie's yes, gesturing three to me and I'm like, what did I miss? <laughs> no, no, no. So Not two stories, on. three citations. Well, <laughs> yeah, So great. the two stories I have in mind is, of course, there's an Egypt story of, you know, the Israelites escaping slavery mm-hmm. from Egypt, Moses, and um, those of you who know some things about Matthew's gospel know that that Matthew really portrays Jesus as a kind of new Moses. He's an inter- mm. interpreter of the law, Sermon on the Mount, kind of classic yep. example of that. Yep. Um, so the Egypt and the Jesus fleeing to Egypt and then being able to come back from Egypt to Israel is is part of setting him in that mm. um, sort of type, I guess, typecasting him as a kind of new Moses. But the other story that Kylie and I have been wondering about how is the Joseph story because yeah. we've got the name Joseph. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we think this is the earliest gospel to use that name because yeah. it's he's not named in Mark. We don't have Jesus' dad's name in Mark. Yeah. And, of course, we've got lots of references here to dreams. 
and the activity of God in dreams and, you know, Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. (laughs) (laughs) Quite the musical version of (laughs) the biblical story. That helps to jog your memory. Yeah, exactly. Just to bring it down a notch from (laughs) the scholarly Greek Hebrew bit we had before. Everyone needs something a little light for the week after Christmas. You know, the faithful people who were going to church the next week. This is all good, yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, So I think we've got resonances of the Joseph story. And again, Joseph in that Mm. story is God's agent who saves the people. Yes. So these themes of men who've saved, who've been God's agent, who are saving, yep. um, and Jesus will be yeah. in that tradition. Yeah. But what are the three citations? That, well, that, uh, yes, yep. we can talk about that. The um, well, So we've got this out of Egypt I've called my son. Um, that it's not, all the, not all the citations are super clear, right? So we've no. got this. Then we've got the a voice was heard in Ramah. Wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. And that comes from Jeremiah thirty-one, mm. um, which we'll come back to. I reckon in a tick. And then we've got like just towards the end of this section, we've got he will be called a Nazarene. Yep. So um, and that and that one is like a super questionable kind of one. But we've got so we've got this like neat structure though that has three fulfillment kind of things. So Matthew's like um, you know. Uh, adding adding a bit of um, uh, evidence into his story. He's setting things up and he's saying, mm-hmm. and this happened because of this. It's this prophetic fulfillment and this one and this one, that yeah. kind of thing. So, I mean, I think one of the things in this that I find interesting when we think about the parallel with the um, Exodus story is that there are parallels and there are, then there are kind of like inversions because, yeah. um, I mean, Joseph, of course, uh, in the – the uh, the Joseph of Genesis I'm talking about yeah. goes down into Egypt because of the treatment by his family, of course. Yes. So that's where he ends up, and it ends up being this saving thing where they then uh, go to him during the famine, and then then you know. But then, as we all know, a pharaoh comes to power who doesn't remember Joseph, and then there's a um, destruction, yeah. and you know, then and then it's Moses that leads them out. So that's a bit different from the message that Matthew's Joseph gets to flee to Egypt yes. in order to be saved and to wait there until Herod's dead. So that's what I mean about, like, we know from the start that Herod's going to die. We just have to hang tight until that happens. Yes. Um, so there's already this foreshadowing like that. Um, but but there is still something in the kind of, you know, steeped in this Jewish tradition about what it means to come out of Egypt. Yeah. You know, so I I think, you know, we already have this, this, um, this indication of the suffering of of the Christ in the gospel here. Um, yep. Again, Christmas is not so far from Easter as it turns out. Um, and we're talking about the kind of Messiah who is shaped by that experience of slavery, that experience of the the um, the treatment of of the Israelites in Egypt, from which they flee by. Um, mm. By the power of God, um, so so I think there's something kind of powerful to say that God's son in this context has been called out of that context. Yeah, definitely. And of course, the Exodus story is such a foundational identity story for the Jewish people still today, yes. right? In yep. the eating of Passover yep. or Pesach and remembering that story of when God not just saved the people but fed the people, but protected the firstborns um, when Pharaoh declared. 
the babies would die. So we've got lots of patterns here. There's linguistic overlaps. I won't go into all the details, but you know, one example is the language used for when Herod feels tricked or literally made a fool of. We get the same verb uh, in the Greek version of the Exodus story for Pharaoh feeling tricked by Moses when the people escape. So there's very clearly a connection here. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's... There's lots we could say about that. Matthew's a great storyteller. He's Mm. very much setting Jesus in this Jewish tradition. I think theologically he's wanting to say this is how God works, right, through and and that, um, you know, the funny thing, well, it's not funny, ha-ha, funny, but um, about Moses and Joseph and now Jesus is they're all, I mean, you're pointing to this, they're all people who've experienced some form of slavery, right, or or Mm. oppression, Um, Mm. you know, Joseph being sold. Mm. Um, And, yeah, it very much sets this king of the Jews, who Jesus Mm. will be, as opposed to Herod, who holds that title, Mm. um, in that, again, political setting, but one with theological implications for what, you know, the way God's saving action works, mm. I think. Yeah, beautiful. And and I think that that second citation sort of builds even, uh, builds further onto those great things you're saying there, Robin. Uh, um, well, we have this uh, lamentation from Jeremiah that that mm. Matthew gives here, which is extremely powerful, like talking, there are, there's actually like a strong, powerful tradition in in Jewish literature, including Jewish literature of the Second Temple period, so um, texts that are written after the Hebrew Bible um, and and would be, you know, sort of similar time to the writing of the New Testament or just before or just after that kind of time, um, of women grieving and and a way of articulating uh, the experience of exile or the experience of... um, Suffering, political oppression, and stuff it, through through the language and imagery of of a woman's grief, um, and and here we have Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be consoled, and of course, so of course, Rachel gives us another link into the yes. Joseph story. Yep. Um, she's the she's the mother of of Joseph and Benjamin in um, in uh, Genesis, yep. and the. Um, I mean, there's a whole other thing we could talk about here. The preferred wife of Jacob. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, but but so what we're talking about here though it's also you know she's the mother I guess of two of the twelve tribes of Israel right yeah and so and that's we've who got she's weeping she's for, weeping for Israel uh, yeah. so all of this is coming together this is uh, you know when we think about the um, the kind of like Jewish context of of Matthew's gospel I mean Matthew is writing as a faithful Jewish person about yeah. you know as a as a follower of Jesus a messianic Jew kind of thing and and this is the language that you can that is used to articulate mm. the present circumstances of the people this grief um grief at grief at the tribes of Israel so what you know so then we see what is going to happen you know Joseph is going to like follow this instruction and do exactly what the angel tells him to do yeah exactly um I mean, it strikes me as you're talking, Kylie. You know, in some ways, these are dark, yes, dark passages for the yes. Christmas season. Yeah, that <laughs> feels feels like we're a long way from a cute baby and a whatever. Yes. Um, but you know, I was at an event just recently that the Ukrainian ambassador to Australia was at, and so he talked about he'd been back in Ukraine just a couple of weeks ago, seeing his family, and he was talking about just you know, it's it's sub zero temperatures there now. Vast amounts of the country have no power. Um, People can't get to hospital. So his own father, I think it was, someone in his family is suffering from cancer and can't get the treatment they can, they they need. Um, 
you know, and you, you don't have to go that far afield, although that's an obvious example. But, yeah. it, you know, with what you're saying about the, you know, Rachel and, and the refusing to be consoled, there is a place in the Christian tradition for lament. Yes. And this could be an interesting Sunday to think about what it means to lament with the world, mm-hmm. the kind of violence that's described here that Jesus himself has to flee from with his parents um, and, and you know, putting this, I think we've got to return then to the Isaiah 63 passage because that actually becomes the almost voice of hope here mm. um, that, that God's presence is what rescues and it's framed as love and compassion in the midst of all of that. So yeah. I, I think we've got to kind of put them together. It's not that there yeah. isn't no, no. joy and love and compassion in Matthew but not in the particular segment yes. that the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. lectionary has given us. yeah. And in fact, just and and what you're saying there makes me wonder how does it sound to have a service that is focused or centered around lament, yeah, with with the things that we're talking about here, um, and then somewhere in the midst of it proclaims Emmanuel, God yeah, with us, God with us, exactly, uh, as the kind of you know one thing that can be said in this context, and 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 also the really the call of the Christian community to, to witness to that. How does that sound to yeah. um God yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it helps to remember that this passage is framed by Emmanuel, God with us. Mm-hmm. And then in the very next chapter in chapter three, Matthew is going to immediately we'd leap forward some years mm. to John the Baptist appearing and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is near. Mm. So this God with us embodied now is the kingdom being near. Mm. Um sort of gives us some framing yes in fact he's going to proclaim repent yes. and the kingdom of god is near so it's bringing it all together right yeah yeah exactly any anything else you'd pick up or preach on uh i th- i mean i think that is i i'm a big sucker for you know talking about um suffering in this setting so i, <laughs> I just love the citation of of Jeremiah in this passage, mm. and and thinking about what that means, um, what what it means to sit with the people who refuse to be consoled, um, in our in our own setting, um, yeah, in, you know, in and our to, own contemporary setting, not necessarily there would be people close to home, but there might be people in you know further afield in Ukraine, yep. or thinking about you know, uh, it's the uh, when we're preparing for this service, it's for January first, so yep. we're looking at a new year. Maybe yeah, if you're yeah. in Australia. Um, you might be contemplating what it means that we might have a referendum about a voice to parliament this year. Yeah. Um, and just thinking about the kind of grief and lament that, that is present uh, in Indigenous mm. communities, First Nations communities across the world actually, yes. um, and, and thinking about what it means to, to, to put all that together with the kind of truth-telling that might really lead to healing. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.